towns, Amphipolis and Apollonia, and then they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Remember, how many Jewish men had to be in a, in a town before you could have a real synagogue? There had to be at least 10. Philippi had no synagogue. So Paul and Silas went to the river where Jewish people would often resort to pray when they didn't have a synagogue, but Thessalonica had one. Probably from what the scriptures give us some, some clues to, a fairly large synagogue. This was a bigger congregation, and I'll help you understand why I say that in a moment. Verse 2, we learned last week, and Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them in three Sabbath days, reasoned with them out of the scriptures. Now, Paul was a respected rabbi. He was trained by a man named Gamaliel, who was uh, the most respected Jewish rabbi uh, in, in the Mediterranean world at that time in history. Paul was a Pharisee, and he was a leader among Pharisees, and more than likely, whatever credentials a Pharisee and a rabbi possessed, Paul carried those with him. That would be how he could walk into a synagogue, and they would be willing to give him the floor. Um, uh, when I pastored in Pennsylvania one Sunday morning, uh, during the offering, a fella that was visiting for the first time got up and came to the platform and said, God just told me to sing a special before he preached. I'd never seen this guy before, never met him in my life, that type of thing. And, uh, but he just said, God just told me to sing a special. And I just looked at him and said, God didn't tell me that. We already have somebody that's going to sing special, but thank you very much. Uh, in, in Jeanette, we had a lot of things like that. Uh, where people would actually come up and say, uh, I, I'm here, I, I wanted to know if you want me to preach tonight. I don't know you from Adam. I don't know your doctrine. No. Uh, so when you think, when Paul went into these synagogues, for them to allow him to just have the floor and to teach and to preach, he had to have had his credentials with him. They recognized those, and, and so he did so. The Bible says whatever he did in Thessalonica is what he always did, as his manner was. So from this text, we know exactly what he did. Verse 3, there were two things. One, opening and alleging that Christ, that's the Messiah. That is not Jesus' last name. That is a title. The Jewish people always looking for a Messiah. Uh, I watched uh, a video in the last day or two of survivors of the Holocaust. They were actually children in Auschwitz on the day that it was liberated in April 1945. Some of them were little, little children, four and five years old. Some of them were 15, 16 year old teenagers. At the time this, this film was made, uh, they were adults in their 70s. So a lot, of, a lot of time had passed, 60s and 70s, a lot of time had passed. And they were talking about that day, and every one of them made this statement. The soldiers, they said the tanks burst through the gates, and uh, they weren't sure what was going on. And the, the, the top of the tank came up, and a soldier came out, and uh, they said he was an American soldier, and every one of them said the same thing. He was the Messiah. Because he was delivering them from all of the, the, the nightmare of living in a German concentration camp, the death camp of Auschwitz, every one of them referred to these soldiers who come in, he was our Messiah. Now, 
Technically, that's not true, but the Jewish people have always been looking for a Messiah, and when you see the word Christ, that's what it's referring to. So Paul said, first of all, opening alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. The Jews were looking for a Messiah who would be a ruler. They were looking back to the prophecies of Daniel, uh, where the Ancient of Days would destroy all the kingdoms of the world, and he would establish a kingdom that would have no end, and he would rule and reign forever. The Jews were hanging on to that hope and that promise, especially under the rule of Rome. They despised the Roman Empire, and they were looking for their Messiah who would come back according to Bible prophecy. We looked at these last week of his government, there shall be no end, and so forth. They were looking for that, and they missed their own scriptures that taught that the Messiah was also coming back to be a redeemer. We looked at Psalm 22 and those amazing prophecies given about the details of the crucifixion of Christ. We looked at Isaiah 53 last week uh, that, that pictures Christ as the suffering servant of God. So Paul is taking them to their scriptures. Now remember, this is important. The people in this synagogue claimed to be Bible believers. Everybody hang on to that. Are we good? They claim to be Bible believers, so he's opening them the scripture. All they had, even the, even the, the born-again people, all they had for scriptures at that time was what we call the Old Testament. The Torah is what the Jews would call that today. But they believed that those Old Testament scriptures were the inspired word of God. So Paul showed them from the scriptures. Verse 2 again, reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So the first thing was... Our Messiah is coming to be a ruler, but first he came to be a, a redeemer by suffering, dying, and being raised again. And here's the second thing he taught, that this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Undoubtedly, Paul took their same scriptures and the life of Christ and took them to every detail where Jesus fulfilled the promises that were given about the Messiah. He would have been much like Matthew that pointed out the birthplace of Christ and the star uh, and, and uh, Jesus going down to Egypt, Jesus living in Nazareth, uh, and, and all the way through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, you'll see that little phrase, um, you know, uh, as, as, as the Scripture saith um, and so forth. And Matthew would quote the verses from Isaiah or Genesis or whatever. Paul did the same thing, convincing them that Jesus was the promised Messiah who came. Verse 4, and some of them believed. Can you circle the word some? That's important. Some of them, he's talking here about the Jewish people. Some of them believed, and that's a, that's a good thing. Um, every time the gospel's preached, every person who hears it has to make a decision. You either receive it or you reject it. Okay, John 1, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So for three Sabbath days, uh, Paul has been in there, reasoning with them out of the scriptures that they claim to believe to be the word of God. Some of them listen to it. Now he holds up Jesus of Nazareth saying he has fulfilled all of the prophecies concerning this suffering Messiah. 
and, and so forth. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. It, it, it's, it's like they just, not only during the synagogue time, they went with them and there, there's the foundation of another new church being started here. Look who else got saved. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. Macedonia was the heart of Alexander the Great's empire, the Greek empire that at one time controlled the entire world. It was one of the fastest rising empires in human history. Um, Alexander was born in Macedonia and, and staged all of his war effort from that place. Um, this was the heart of Greek culture. Uh, the Greeks were known not only for their mythology, uh, but they, they were known for their philosophy, their education system, and so forth, um, their art and, and, and everything. It influenced all of the ancient world. And even, even to this day, certain aspects of civilization uh, still can trace, our, trace its roots back uh, to the, from, from what came from Greece. So the, the Greeks that were surrounding this synagogue these were people that were born and raised in a, in a culture that taught multitudes of gods and goddesses and so forth, but something didn't, did not ring true to them. These were individuals who were seeking truth, and because the preaching, we're told here, all happened in the synagogue, we have to understand these are Greeks who converted to the Jewish faith, a great multitude. These were Greeks that rejected their culture, their history, their mythology, and they accepted the belief of one true God, the God poor, uh, proclaimed in the Bible. Everybody okay with this? Okay? For the Jewish people, that would have been a major triumph. That meant that they had had a good influence on their community, that they had conveyed the message of the scriptures thoroughly enough that these Greeks converted and became uh, Jewish people. What was the name for a Gentile who converted to Judaism? They were called proselytes, okay? Well, as Paul is teaching on these three Sabbath days, remember the two things, that the Messiah has to suffer and be raised again, and that number two, Jesus is that Christ, that Messiah. Um, not only did some of the Jews in that synagogue believe it, they got saved, but uh, a great multitude of the Greeks did. So a large portion of this synagogue is now converted and they are, they are trusting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it says at the end of verse four, and of the chief women, not a few. Chief women refers to some of the wives of influential men in the city. Uh, perhaps the businessmen, maybe some of the, the political leaders. Um, and uh, so some of these very influential, powerful women got saved um, and, and so forth. This sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? God's doing a great work, but look at verse 5. But the Jews, which believed not. Now remember when Paul walked into the synagogue, he's walking into a place where everybody there claimed to believe what? I've stressed it a couple times. Did you get it? What did they all claim to believe? That the Bible was the word of God. Okay? Paul has preached to them from the Bible. He has shown them from the scriptures for weeks on end 
these truths. He has taken them verse by verse by verse. Okay? Some of them got saved. A great multitude of Greeks got saved. Uh, of the chief women in the, in, the, in the city, in the area, not a few. But there were a bunch of the people. Only some of the Jews got saved. You realize that means most of them did not get saved. They're still, they're still claiming to believe the Bible, but they're rejecting the message. The Bible says the Jews which believed not moved with envy. A couple Sundays ago, we preached on the subject of motivation. Motivation. What moves us to action? Here's a group of individuals that are moved with envy. What do you suppose they're envious of? Why are they jealous of Paul and Silas? Any thoughts? Popularity? Okay, the new guys came into town and everybody likes them better than us. Cheryl? Yeah, they're, they're, a, they're getting a bigger following. In fact, it appears that uh, uh, you, you, when you count into that great multitude of the Greek people, huge part of their synagogue is being siphoned off, and now they're following Paul and Silas and so forth, uh, and, and they're just envious. Um, uh, maybe it's they're envious of Paul's knowledge of Scripture that they don't possess, but they're moved with envy, and look what that did. The wrong kind of motivation will make you do the wrong thing. They took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company. They needed to assemble a team. They needed to assemble a team. Last night was an open volleyball night, open gym night here. And uh, I, was, I was in and out looking and, and so forth. And uh, they were sort of picking out teams. I saw Ken calling call out some names. You go over here, you go over here. And, you know, picking teams and so forth. These guys are picking a team. They didn't go out and find some Bible scholars. They, they didn't go out and find some soul winners. They didn't, find, they didn't go out and find the people that love to pray. Look who they got. Certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. They went out and scraped the barrel and, and tried to find the worst scum that they could to join their side. And the Bible says they gathered a company. Does anybody know another time in the New Testament somebody did something like that? A New Testament. Yeah, Korah tried to get a, an, a, an army, but, but he got 250 princes, renowned men. Where else in the New Testament did somebody go out and try to, they, they, they just got some lowlifes to join their side? Cheryl? At the trial of Christ, keep your place here. Go to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. And uh, let's look at verse 59. Now the chief priest and elders and all the council. The council is the Sanhedrin. These are the leading religious Jewish people in Jerusalem. Um, the chief priests, they're the ones that served in the temple. Um, and, and so for the elders, these are the, uh, the, the older uh, leaders, the older Jewish men. These are the respected people. By the way, they all claim to be Bible believers too. They claimed to be Bible believers. Notice what they did. 
sought what kind of witness against Jesus? False witness. Why would they have to seek false witness? Yeah, they knew he wasn't wrong. They couldn't catch him in a lie. They couldn't catch him mis, uh, misusing the scriptures. Uh, they, they couldn't catch him in a sin, none of that. So the only way they knew they could find anything against him is they have to, they have to hire some professional liars. By the way, isn't it sad when your motive is wrong, how low you will sink? They sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. Uh, when it says they found none, they had to have at least two or three that agreed on the same, same charge, same accusation. And that the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Um, and, and they thought Jesus was talking about the stone temple that... that uh, uh, was in the, in the center of Jerusalem. He was talking about his own body there. Um, so their same crowd, we know from last week, they were moved with envy uh, as well. So we're back in Acts 16. So they uh, scrape in the bottom of the barrel and they've gathered themselves a company. They got the idea, if we get enough people on our side, that makes us right. Does being in the majority make you right? Yes or no? 1973, when the majority of the Supreme Court ruled in favor of abortion, did that make them right? Not at all. See, we got this idea, if I have more people on my team, that makes me right. Turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 11. There's a verse that's repeated almost word for word twice in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 11.21 and 16.5, but we'll look at 11.21. The Bible says, though, hand join in hand. You mean we're, we're shaking hands. We are in agreement on this. The wicked shall not be unpunished, but the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. The wicked can get as many people on their side as they want. Remember the game Red Rover as a little kid? How many of us played that? Okay, you join hands, Red Rover, Red Rover. I challenge Rob to come over. Of course, my team would never challenge Rob to come over. We'd, we'd go for some tiny little girl that we knew couldn't break through. And you had to just hold your you know, hands real tight so they couldn't break through and so forth. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. They can, they can team up all they want. It doesn't make them right. So back in Acts 17, we're watching this thing unfold. The Jews which believe not. Remember, these are people who claim to believe what? The Bible's the word of God. Okay, they've gathered a company. They set all the city on an uproar. They'd rather burn their city down than admit that they're wrong. They'd rather destroy everything around them rather than, than admit, we know the Bible says, but. They set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So they surrounded this house and began attacking it. We learn down in, in verse number seven about this man, Jason, whom Jason hath received. We, we are led to believe that Jason, like Lydia, opened up his home and Paul and Silas and Timotheus are living there during these few weeks when the church at Thessalonica is being established. So the unbelieving Jews moved with envy. 
uh, they've got a crowd of riffraff with them. They get all the city in an uproar, and, and they're surrounding this house. Uh, sort of would remind you a little bit of, like, Atlanta, Georgia in the last couple nights. How many know your news and what's happening there with Antifa and all that kind of stuff? That's what they're doing here. When they found them not, Paul and Silas weren't home. They drew Jason and certain brethren. That would be some of the people that got saved. By the way, Jason is a, is a Greek name. He's probably one of those Greek uh, proselytes that got saved. Uh, and certain brethren under the rulers of the city crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Now they meant that as an insult, but isn't that a wonderful testimony to the faithfulness of God's people in those days? They're turning the world upside down for the cause of Jesus Christ. So what kind of a difference are we making? Are, are we turning anything upside down for the Lord, making anything at all? Whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. So they're saying, here's their accusation, that these unbelieving Jews who claim that they did what? believe the Bible. This is important. You need to keep repeating it with me, okay? They claimed that they believed the Bible, but they didn't want to, they, they didn't like what the Bible said for them. So they now said, these guys are teaching that there's another king and his name is Jesus. Remember at the, at the uh, that crowd that hired all the liars in Matthew 26, uh, when Pilate said, uh, whom shall I release unto you and, and so forth? And they said, we have no king but Caesar. You realize that every Jew in the world at that time was looking for the Messiah to come and destroy Caesar. They were all hoping for that. That's what they wanted in Messiah. And, and the, it's just ironic now that they are saying that Paul and Silas saying there's another king, and that wasn't what Jesus taught at all. Or, I'm sorry, what Paul taught at all. He taught that, that Jesus came to be their redeemer and that he died and raised again so that they could be saved. They troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. Because you see, if somebody sets himself up promoting another king, that would bring the wrath of Rome down on you in a heartbeat. If word got back to Nero uh, in the palace that this was going on, he would send his armies and just level Thessalonica without even question, without the batting an eye, because the Roman emperors were very, very jealous of their position and power. Uh, they, they were very threatened by it. Nero uh, killed his mother, uh, he killed a couple of his wives. He killed all, a, a, a whole host of his, his relatives and stuff because he was worried that they wanted to take over the kingdom from him. Um, they knew we can't, we can't uh, let somebody come up with this or Rome's coming after that. So they got the whole city in an uproar uh, and so forth. Verse 9, when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, probably the other brethren, they let them go. More than likely... Jason had to pay like uh, a bail bond, something like that. Um, it, it more or less was the, the type thing that Jason was now becoming responsible to, that if Paul raised such an insurrection, Jason would assume responsibility. He's the guy that would go to jail. He would be punished for it uh, and so forth. Um, that, that's about all we can infer from that. And uh, so they made Jason promise this was not so. They took some type of a security from him, and then they let Jason and whoever else was in his house go. 
Paul and Silas are not with them at this particular time. Uh, verse 10, and the brethren, that's these people that got saved in verse 4, that some of the Jews, the great multitude of Greeks, the chief women, not a few, the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. So Paul and Silas leave. They've had a three to four week ministry in Thessalonica. A large group of people have gotten saved, both Jew and Gentile, mostly Gentile. But in three weeks' time, Paul did such a good job grounding them in the scriptures that one of the great churches of the New Testament was established. Before we walk away from uh, 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 the, the church at Thessalonica, can I get us to turn one more time to First Thessalonians chapter 1? One of my favorite chapters in the New Testament. Paul's writing back to these people that we just studied. Verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul said, we not only taught you the scriptures, but the Holy Spirit brought conviction into your heart. You understand those people that didn't believe in Thessalonica, the Holy Spirit brought conviction to them they just shook it off they resisted that but not only that Paul said you also saw our testimony you know how we lived among you verse 6 he became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction we just read about that whole riot everything that took place at the start of their church with joy of the Holy Ghost it didn't turn them into a bunch of angry people they didn't become bitter they had the joy of the Holy Spirit because they knew that they believed and proclaimed the truth. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia, that's northern Greece, and Achaia, that's southern Greece. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which, was, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So years later, Paul writes to that church, and he has nothing but praise for them. He reminds them of their spiritual heritage, and he remembers uh, the way they received the word of God uh, as such that it was the word of God and they trusted Christ as Savior. So Paul's very brief ministry in Thessalonica is over and he moves on. Now we've taken time to talk about what he preached. We've taken the time to talk about that synagogue and, and realize everybody in that synagogue claimed to believe that the Bible was true, right? Okay, they believed that. But when they were shown from the Bible the truth, 
Some of them believed, that's the Jewish people, a great multitude of the Greeks did, the chief women not a few. Those others who did not believe, by the way, they claimed that they believed the Bible, but when shown the truth, they rejected it. They lined themselves up with the, the lowest of the low lowlifes they could find and tried to badmouth and lie uh, about the preacher uh, and, and uh, the, the preaching that was going on. And Paul and Silas left town and went to the next place. Verse 10, the Bible says they, they uh, sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea. Berea is a town about 60 miles away. We could drive there in about an hour. More than likely, it would take Paul and Silas a couple of days uh, to get there, depending on the mode of transportation, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. That's Paul's custom, okay? So they're in the town of Berea. They go to the synagogue of the Jews. Now look at verse 11. God makes a statement about the people in this synagogue. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now the word noble can refer to royalty. Um, I, you know, I realize every one of us here are just infatuated and enthralled with everything that's going on in England and the royal family. How many have already bought Prince Harry's book? They say it's great for lining bird cages, things like that. You know, and it's like the, the whole eyes of the world are on that kind of stuff. And when we think of noble or nobility, often uh, it goes to the idea of a, of a royal line of, uh, of individual. But the word noble here is not talking about a position in society. Uh, it is talking about the character of these people. Um, it, the, the idea is a, a, um, a character of high standard, a character of high integrity. Now, the people in Thessalonica claimed to believe the Bible. The people at, Ber at Berea also claimed to believe the Bible, but God says something about them. They were more noble than the ones in Thessalonica. And here's why God says that. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They had a mind that said, we want to know what the Bible says. Paul didn't have an audience here that he had to fight to keep their interest or to get them to pay attention or to even stay awake. They were sitting there, if you will, on the edge of their seat saying, we want to know the Bible. Teach us the Bible. Years ago, we had a ministry came into our church in, in upstate New York called the Couriers for Christ. Anybody ever heard of them? Uh, at the time, when I lived up there, uh, the Soviet Union had not crumbled yet. Uh, and, and so uh, it was an atheistic culture, communist country, and uh, anybody trying to get Bibles, gospel, literature, and so forth into the Soviet Union had to do so by very creative means. Uh, they had to try to smuggle Bibles and things like that across the border to get it into the hands of, of Christians and so forth. Couriers for Christ was one of those ministries that did that. Uh, I remember as they were presenting in our church, we supported them for a number of years um, from our church there in New York. Um, they, they had the slide presentation. That was back in long before the days of video and DVD and all that stuff. And uh, they showed a picture of a church somewhere in the Soviet Union. 
And it was a Sunday morning. It was a church. They let us know this building is unheated. It is wintertime. The people you could see were bundled up in their heavy coats, their fur hats, uh, things like that, and they were in church. Uh, no chandeliers, no stained glass, just wooden benches, that type of thing, and it was packed. It was against the law for them to be there because Christianity was outlawed under the Soviet regimes. And you would see scattered throughout the auditorium people with Bibles holding them up just like this. Does anybody know why they were doing that? So the people behind them could see a Bible. Now, I can't turn around because I don't have the mic on, but if, but if I'm holding my Bible up like this, Becca, can you read that? Earl, can you read that? Linda, can you read that? No, it was just the whole idea. These people were able to, to say at the end of the day, we saw a Bible today. The Bible was so precious to them, and the average, the average Russian person did not own a Bible. Many Russian pastors did not own a Bible of their own. If they were found by the communist regime, they were confiscated, destroyed. Those who possessed them were thrown into prison. So for these people to have a Bible was, uh, was almost a miraculous thing. It was a rare thing. And so I, I remember seeing the picture, and you just saw two or three people like this. There weren't a lot of them, and they were holding a book above their head. That was the Bible, so that other people there could see it as the scriptures were being read in a packed church without any heat. Persecution has never destroyed the church of Jesus Christ. It never has, never ever. Prosperity has. Nick Malucci, the missionary to Bulgaria, which was part of uh, the, the Soviet Union at one time, uh, said that under, under Soviet rule, the Bulgarian Christians were devout, they were faithful, they took their stand. They were willing to risk everything for the cause of Christ. But when the Iron Curtain fell, freedom came in, capitalism began to come in. They began to have money and so forth. He said it, it ruined the churches because people found out that they could be making money instead of going to church and they could have stuff and they could do things they couldn't do before. And the Bible fell by the wayside. Persecution has never harmed the church of Christ. It's purified it. It's purified it, but it's never destroyed it. These people in Berea, they had this readiness of mind that was much like those Soviet believers that I saw in that picture uh, so, so many years ago. They just wanted to know what the Bible says. And notice again, verse 11, and search the scriptures, how often? Daily. They're, they're in their Bibles every day. They weren't the kind that brought their Bible to church on Sunday went back home, put it on the dresser, the desk or something like that, and the next Sunday morning hoping hope they could find it wherever they left it. They're in their Bible every day, and they searched the Scriptures. Uh, they didn't have concordances. They didn't have Bible apps on their phone. They didn't have phones. They didn't have any of that. They're just going through their Scriptures. Their Scriptures would have been in scrolls. And they're searching them, and they're looking there. The Bible says, search the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. They weren't trying to find fault with Paul and Silas. 
They just wanted to make sure that everything they were hearing lined up with all of the Bibles, that these guys aren't taking things out of context, that, that it's true. They really wanted to know what the Bible said. And God said that these were noble people. Now, Thessalonica, they claimed that they believed the Bible. But when push came to shove, we found out they really didn't. Because you see, if you reject the teaching of the Bible because it rubs you the wrong way, you don't really believe the Bible. It's not enough that we boast ourselves, and well, I, I carry a King James Bible. Yeah, but if you don't practice and you don't do what the Bible says, you're really not a Bible believer. Those are just words you bandy about. Most of the people at, at Thessalonica Though they claimed to be Bible believers, when push came to shove, they proved they were not. Not at Berea. So we, we see that they're more noble. Look at verse 12, Acts 17, 12. Therefore, what's the next word? Many of them believed. Circle that. Remember Acts 17, 4? And some of them believed, meaning most of them didn't. Verse 12, therefore, many of them Believe. There was a different response in Berea. Entirely different. Also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. So there were people from all walks of life, all backgrounds. Once again, uh, we're seeing uh, influential women, and in this case, influential men. The Bible says not a few. A bunch of people got saved. We don't know a lot else about this church at Berea. There was no letter uh, that was sent to them like there was to Philippi and Thessalonica. But we see a glimpse into, into the heart of this church and the, the character of these people and the difference that it made. So you got Thessalonica. They claim they believe the Bible. But when, when the scriptures were open to them, Paul proves to them that the, the, the Christ had to suffer and die and be raised again that Jesus was that Christ. Only some of them believed that, even though they said, well, yeah, we believe the Bible. But when the Bible taught something they didn't like, they rejected it, and then they rebelled against it. The, the question comes to me as I compare these two churches, Thessalonica and Berea. Which kind of a church are we? Which kind of a church are we? We're running out of time. We're going to come back and revisit this because there's some events going to take place in Berea that's tied to Thessalonica. But we need to ask ourselves, are we truly Bible-believing Christians? Because, you see, if we are, that means we're going to be Bereans. We're going to want to know what the Bible says, and as soon as we know what the Bible says, we're going to do what the Bible says. No ifs, ands, or buts. We're not going to be Thessalonians. Well, I believe the Bible. I just don't like that. I know, I know it's in there, but. That's a Thessalonican person. Now, not the people got saved. We're, we're talking about the synagogue as a whole. Okay? The majority of that synagogue, the Jewish people, rejected Christ, rejected the scriptures, even though they claimed they believed them. We're going to we're going to tie this in. All the Bible, by the way, is tied together. The, the older I get, the more I study the book. 
it's all tied together in amazing ways. We're going to go back to a teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ next Wednesday night and tie this all together, and we're going to find out where we really are on the spectrum. But we need to stop there tonight. We need your help to tear down the auditorium if you can do that. Uh, we always appreciate those that are able to stay and help. Uh, don't forget to get your kids. Uh, it is raining, so be careful uh, as you head out to your cars. As you're driving out, be mindful uh, that there may be children, people running to their cars in the rain. So just, just be a little patient as you leave out. We don't want anybody to get hurt out there. Sunday school teachers, pick up your lessons. If you haven't got your uh, giving statements, Mrs. Clack, I just saw her head out the door. She'll be out there waiting on you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible.